Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Feel Your Fan of the Podcast. My name is Saint. And I am Jim. You are, as always, Jim. I appreciate you being here again, Jim. Uh, how well, you doing I appreciate today, bud? you being here, too. You know, good. I'm actually, uh, the folks listening, because this is a podcast and therefore an audio-only medium, cannot see that my backdrop is a little bit different, but I am on the road this week. I'm traveling. I am in eastern Pennsylvania in the Allentown-Bethlehem area, and it is truly lovely out here for a, uh, a bunch of reasons. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm having a really good time, uh, but I'm glad that I could have the foresight to bring all the stuff that I would need to... Uh, to go ahead and do another one of these uh, fantastic ear hole filling episodes. So uh, here's hoping that things don't sound too different for the folks who are listening at home or in their cars or on their walks or wherever they listen. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm having a great time. How you doing? Oh, you know, it's it's been a very weird week already. I'll say that. Uh, uh, my my work schedule has been really erratic, and in fact, uh, I was supposed I'm supposed to be at work right now. But uh, I guess they're having a kind of a lull of a day in the middle of the week here. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I've been sitting in the yard for a couple hours, not getting any trips. And so I figured I'd come home and, and crank this out with you here instead of sitting there twiddling my thumbs. So uh, it's no, good. I'm supposed to be at work right now, too. But uh, that's the beauty of working from home is, A, I can work from anywhere. And if I want to work from eastern Pennsylvania for the week, I can do that. But if uh, you happen to have a lull in work and you say, hey, can we crank out an episode? I can say, yeah, I can take a break. I'll just make it my lunch. It's no big deal at all. I said something about cranking one out, and you, you said something really dirty earlier, and uh, I had to remember who I was talking to. It was kind of funny. Well, you know, crank one out, rub one out, doesn't really matter. As long as the deed gets done. As long as you manage to, uh, to, to spill what you need to spill and other people can enjoy it, then it really doesn't matter what terminology you use. Mischief managed. Mm-hmm. So uh, I thought it was really cool. Uh, they got this used bookstore over by the uh, train yard where I work, and uh, or that I'm based out of. And uh, I've I've not gone in there. I've heard mixed reviews of this place, uh, but I, I had extra time on my hands today, so I strolled in there. And Jesus Christ, it's a tinder box. It's waiting to go up. It's stacked floor to ceiling with books. And when I say ceiling, I'm talking like twelve foot plus, and. It's just daunting to look at. It looks like a hoarder's nightmare. Um, well, all the best bookstores should be packed full of pages, but maybe not that densely if they're looking to <laughs> not lose most of their inventory to an errant match or cigarette butt. Oh, no, that building would go up like a goddamn kerosene fire. It would be terrible. But uh, I was able to locate... Now, there is this series of books that I read when I was uh, about seven or eight, or something around there. Uh, and, uh, I, I swear to God, uh, I read like seven or eight of these books when I was a kid. I would eagerly anticipate them coming out. I'd get to the bookstore and pick them up. You know, that's where my spare money went when I was a kid. And, uh, for a lot of years, I couldn't remember enough about it to remember who wrote it or remember any of the, other than the most basic details of what the, 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 the story is. And uh, it just seemed like I made it up. Uh, because if you, if you listen to this, tell me what, what this reminds you of. A group of role-playing teens in a college get sucked into the game that they were playing and have to live out their lives as these characters while looking for a way home. 
What does huh. that tell you? It smells yeah, a little like you. a combination between Stranger Things and the 80s Dungeons & Dragons cartoon that I loved so much. I am Dungeon Master, your guide in the realm of Dungeons & Dragons. Exactly, and for a lot of years I thought maybe I just watched that cartoon, that, uh, that D&D cartoon, and just made the rest of this shit up whole cloth in my head. And, and, and so... The thing is, is a couple years ago, I realized I can just type random shit into Google and it sort of tracks and sort of makes sense of the things that I'm trying to say. And so I went into Google and I swear I typed a paragraph. I'm just like, the book series where kids go into their role playing game and blah, 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 blah. And it finally, it spit out an author at me. And so I Googled the author and I looked up his body of work and sure enough, these books were his. His, his author's name was uh, uh, Joel Rosenberg. The book hmm. series was called The Guardians of the Flame. And so in this tinderbox of a bookstore today, I managed <laughs> to track down book one of the series. Uh, so I'm going to read it again, see if it holds up, see what it does. So There goes I your was, Christmas vacation. I was able to pick up a piece of my childhood today, so that's kind of cool. Well, bravo. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I have a couple of books like that, too, because... As I have repeatedly hammered home during a lot of previous episodes, I grew up in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, which was, of course, the home of the uh, the, the pre-problematic TSR and therefore Dungeons and & Dragons. And a lot of my friends' folks actually worked at TSR, and some of them were authors of things like the Monster Manuals and the Adventure Modules and all those things. So uh, the, the D&D version of the Choose Your Own Adventure book, I think, was called Pick a Path, and I read a whole buttload of those back in the day. And uh, I have little bits and pieces of memories from, from having read those that kind of drift in and out of my consciousness every now and again. And I'm sure that if I went back looking through all the storage stuff and, and my mom's attic, I could probably dig some of those books up again. But, you know, maybe that's a, uh, a little thing that I can use to waste my Christmas vacation to go back and try and <laughs> dig up the books that I read about D&D when I was a kid. Boy, I read a lot of those Choose Your Own Adventure books as a kid, too. Jesus. Yeah. And, and those are the kind of books that you got to read. Where you just says turn to page forty five, but you keep your finger back on the original page in case yep. page forty five sucks ass. You're like, no, no, not my change my mind. I'm not doing that. <laughs> nope. Page forty five. I don't remember says, which one you it died was. violently. Yeah. Congratulations. So yeah. yeah, that's one of the instances where you can really turn back time. I don't remember which book it was. This isn't just what I was talking about about how little bits and pieces of things kind of occupy my consciousness. But there was a book. One of those uh, Choose Your Own Adventure books where the the entire thrust of the narrative was that there was this paradise location somewhere in the galaxy that you were trying to get to throughout the course of the entire book, but the rules of the universe set up very early on when you first started turning pages was you can't get there by any means that we actually understand. People just kind of seem to wind up there. They don't remember how they got there. Uh, you can't actually plan uh, a, a roadmap or any sort of course of action to get there, but if you're lucky, you may find it. And so what these dirty bastards did is they put like a five-page, like the good ending, like the, what they call with, with comic books and, 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 um, and video games now where... Uh, Actually, more video games, where if you make the right choices, you'll wind up with the most favorable cinematic and the most satisfying conclusion to the story. What these dirty bastards did was they put about a five-page section right in smack dab in the middle of the book of 
you're not really sure how this happened, but you, you feel this warm sunshine and a sense of calm coming over you, and you wake up in this paradise. And it's the paradise you've been trying to get to the entire book, this utopian city on a planet. But there's no choice that you can actually make that will lead you there. There's no path that tells you to turn to page 45 or whatever it is. They're counting on you cheating and just flipping through the book and reading ahead in the text, <laughs> and that's when you wind up there. You motherfuckers. So, yeah. They, they, they know you're going to cheat. They know you're going to flip back and forth and try and engender the most favorable ending. So they created the most, uh, the, the best ending, the quote-unquote best ending for the story, but they didn't give you any actual way to get there if you followed the rules of the book. You had to accidentally cheat and turn to that page on your own volition. So, yeah, that was when I was like, you bastards, you, I can't believe you did that, but that's actually kind of clever because they understand their audience on a level that maybe their audience doesn't even realize they do when they pick that thing up to begin with. Absolutely, and that's... That's a large part of what I liked about, uh, like, uh, some of Terry Brooks's work. He had kind of that tongue-in-cheek humor to it. Uh, and also, yeah. uh, if you look at the uh, oh, uh, with Douglas Adams stuff, like Starship Titanic and, mm -hmm. and on all of those books, it's, it's really got that same kind of aesthetic to it, which I appreciate. That irreverence. Uh, there was an, a couple of news items I wanted to hit on. Now, this one is just... It's it's funny. Uh, we we we, we spent a lot of time talking about the shit that pisses us off, um, but mm -hmm. this story actually involves in someone getting pissed on. And uh, if anyone's not sure what I'm talking about, so there was a concert by a, a band called Brass Against, and Brass Against. I've I've stumbled across them a couple times on my playlist. They do. They had an album where they just covered Tool songs with brass instruments and it's fucking epic they're really cool but uh brass against was making a performance uh in uh the welcome to rockville concert series and uh, i'm trying to find out where this was daytona beach okay so this, of course it was in florida uh <laughs> apparently stuff happens in florida during the performance lead singer sophia urista uh, had to go to the bathroom like really really bad and that's not something that you can just do as you and i both well know when you're on stage you're on stage uh you're in when you're in state no sorry that's uh. bad but when you're on stage there's no you got you got to wait till you get off or, or or have the band play an instrumental while you go take a leak or whatever it is well that's not what happened here what happened here is uh, she had to go so bad, and she mentioned it to the crowd. This dude jumped up on stage and laid on the stage, and she pissed on him. Pissed I, on I, you know, him. I've, I'm kind of wondering. I've wondered what Trump's been up to since he left office, but uh, I guess now we know. <laughs> he is a Florida man these days. But, yeah. uh, no, apparently... Uh, the Daytona Beach police are trying to figure out whether or not they're going to press charges against Jurista because apparently uh, exposure. This was a an all ages show, so there could have been potential for uh, uh, younger eyes to see this, uh, albeit consensual event. Dude yeah, it seems to like it. it was he was he was okay with it. I mean, you know, if you pop yourself up on stage and uh, get up there and say, yeah, yeah, absolutely, uh, hit hit me with. Uh, Hit me with some streaming shot. music. <laughs> then, with uh, your you best know. shot. <laughs> what are you going to do? I mean, music. Uh, you know, uh, maybe, okay, if there's kids there, obviously, 
you know, to, to, to sort of reference once again how, how you and I first came into each other's lives, uh, doing what we could to protect kids from, uh, you know, untoward influences. Um, yeah, if there were kids there, then I suppose that would be an issue. But I'm, I'm reminded of, and again, this is probably nothing I should discuss, so I don't even probably want to go down this rabbit hole, but there used to be a band, and I want to say they were called Rock Bitch, and they never really attained like massive levels of national success because they never really had like a big single or anything, but their shows were kind of legendary because it was an all-lady band, and I use the term lady a little loosely because uh, most people wouldn't mm-hmm. probably call them ladies, but they used to do things... Um, like they, uh, they had a, a golden condom they would throw out to the audience sometime during the show and whoever caught it, uh, male, female, somewhere in between, uh, that was their golden ticket to get backstage and actually use that condom with the band member of their choice. Um, and then gosh, who was it? Was it, uh, was it Wendy O. Williams? He used to, uh, to actually pull out her, her used tampons and throw them out in the audience. I, I'm trying to remember during the sort of like Gigi Allen gross out punk era of the seventies. Uh, the, the best. I, I heard like about that. I, I don't remember the name, but I, I heard about that. I remember so, you know, but these that. are again, like adults only shows. These are, um, uh, Danita Sparks, Danita Sparks, I guess is, 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 uh, the one, now that I'm thinking about it, the one who did that. Um, but yeah, so it's uh, if if you go to one of those shows, you sort of like know what you're getting into. But yeah, again, if it's if it's a, a an all ages show or ostensibly a family performance, you really don't expect to see one of your uh, one of your heroes up on stage, um, you know, dropping trow and uh, getting rid of her uh, her pre show refreshment all over some dude. Um, I don't know if you could see that. There's a picture of it. Oh wow! Yeah, so, yeah, so you know what? That's it. that's actually pretty impressive. <laughs> She really went for it. Microphone in hand, still fucking singing. So credit to her for that. But, I mean, just, I guess, choose your audience, I guess. Yeah, I that's know. that's dedication. That is dedication. But it just goes to show you, like you just said, like if you're on stage, um, you know, you uh, you, you kind of have to, to, to go before you, you hit the stage so that you're not winding up uh, needing to. But that's the thing. Like, I don't remember who, I think it was, who was the comedian? Was it Jim Jeffries who talked about that there's a direct line between... Uh, your brain and whatever deliveries might happen to be imminent in the basement because he's like, you know, have you ever been like on the road or something and you sort of feel like maybe there's some rumbly in the tumbly happening and you might have to actually go drop a deuce, go and drop the kids <laughs> off at the pool. Um, and it seems like, you know, when you get home, it really, that sort of ramps up and you always sort of like, just make it, you sort of like slide in sideways just as things are starting to happen. <laughs> he's like that, that happens way too frequently for that to be an accident. Your brain psychosomatically does at least have some, some measure of control over your excretory function because you know i i actually am a a normal healthy functioning human being adult and i i i I head to the bathroom every couple of hours to make sure that i get rid of what i've been putting into my body but there have been times when i've spent up to four hours on stage before and sure i gotta pee when i get off but i don't actually have to take a break in the middle of the show to go pee because my brain knows that i uh i have a a certain time commitment i'm expected to fulfill and it no matter how much my bladder might want to actually relieve itself it doesn't send that signal until it's time to go do it. And the same thing with the number two. You're on the road, you're driving, you pass an exit, I probably could go now, I probably could go now, but now I'll wait until the next uh, you know, rest stop 25 miles later, and then by the time 25 miles later rolls around and you pull in, you're sort of like doing a, uh, uh, a Tim Conway shuffle out of your car trying to make it to the commode in time, but you probably could have made it an extra 50 miles because your brain understands when it's time for this to happen and... It, then only when it's imminent, only when it's a possibility, does it really send the signal that you, you're going to have to hop on that bowl. But 
this is the thing. Not that we necessarily do a family show around here because we drop f bombs all over the place and talk about salacious subjects, but we usually don't necessarily devolve into bathroom humor. However, uh, this this uh, sort of like rock and roll golden shower thing, uh, it, it sort of is at least somewhat in our wheelhouse because it does deal with uh, with music. So yeah, we definitely have to touch on that. Um, but uh, I'll make sure when we uh, when we do the blurb for this episode that we put a little bit of a content warning in there. People know this isn't a kids show by now, but nonetheless, I mean, if we didn't want kids being exposed to uh, to this this lady. Um, you know, going ahead and, and hosing down one of her fans with, uh, with 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 some pee, then maybe we should make sure that we let people know that they shouldn't listen to this with their kids in the car. It's true. I mean, we just... You might say we couldn't pass up a golden opportunity. Y- so. You might say that, yeah. Yes. Yeah, to, to, to shower you all with, uh, with, with wonderful news. If we didn't tell you about it, you'd be pissed. <laughs> and, anyway. and then you're in deep trouble. You're in deep trouble. No, uh, I actually only ever have one situation like that. I remember playing at a place called Hell's Kitchen in Tacoma. And uh, for whatever reason, right before we got, like about, during load-in, which was about an hour and a half before the set, I pounded one of these. The monster used to come in what they called the BFC, the big fucking can. Yeah. And it's like 32 fucking ounces of monster energy drink. Which, no one should be drinking that much goddamn monster at one particular time. Under oh, any circumstances. You're supposed to only drink half of it. Bullshit. You're not going to put an open can in a fridge and let it get flat. You knew damn well what you were doing, monster. Yep, but I, you did. I pounded one of these before, the well, during load-in. Because, I mean, I'm a vocalist. I, I load in, like, a, a, a briefcase full of shit and I'm done. But, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm super happy with the band that I'm playing with now because, I mean, I used to be the drummer, so uh, I, I had to make six, seven trips carrying big, heavy cases, but now, <laughs> yeah, I got a microphone, and uh, and just that's pretty much it. Drop Singers don't touch gear. Hey, do you guys need help? Oh, okay, I'll be in the bar. <laughs> but uh, So I pounded this shit right before going on stage. I was fine until about three quarters of the way through our set, and then it's like, you know, your eyes get all big, like, uh-oh, this could be a problem. <laughs> And uh, uh, I, I, I had to make a decision. I made the decision to stick around and finish the set and uh, then bolt for it right after. But it's like I was telling myself in my head, I'm like, you got a wireless mic, bro. Just sing from the bathroom. What's the worst that could happen? But we didn't want to find that out. <laughs> you might have started the show as an American, but uh, by that point, European. <laughs> okay, no more pee jokes, I promise. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, one other news article that I want to talk about before we get into the meat and potatoes of the subject we're going to talk about today. Uh, there was an announcement uh, as of last night. Uh, we are recording this on Wednesday the 17th, so this happened on Tuesday the 16th. Uh, yay math. But what happened was uh, Netflix, uh, who holds the uh, worldwide contract for distributing Paramount's work where Paramount Plus is not available, uh, decided, or not, I guess Netflix didn't decide, Paramount decided to pull their content from Netflix post-haste, as of immediately. As in, if you've seen this notice, our content is gone. And the problem with that is uh, Paramount Plus is really only available in the United States, uh, North America right now, so Canada, the United States. And so that's pretty much the only place you can get this new streaming Star Trek content. 
Uh, other than that, uh, people overseas were having to watch it on whatever platform Netflix decided to pass it out on. And now that's gone. Instead, they're going to have to wait until Paramount Plus launches, if Paramount Plus launches in their respective countries, to have access to the new season of Discovery, which starts tomorrow as we record. And that is that some bullshit. Bullshit. Yeah, it's super problematic because uh, Discovery's been finding its own footing. They've been finding their own ground. They've been making good steps into being uh, a franchise-defining series, only to now have three-quarters or more of its audience pulled abruptly, last minute. That's going to sour a lot of people to this. You want pirates? This is how you get pirates. Exactly that. It's like... People are going to have to be forced to go to Pirate Bay or places like that to get the the streams of Discovery from the United States because, you know, fuck waiting until like mid-2022 or whenever Paramount Plus decides to pop up in your country. I you think it's it. tough to avoid spoilers now? Try waiting a year for whatever content the rest of the world already has. Even if you're in right. another country, you're going to get spoilers. Right, exactly that. I get Paramount wanting to consolidate and pull the reins back and, and group all their shit. I even get them wanting to get that extra money from their subscriber base. Because a lot of people are going to have to buy Paramount Plus to get this content. And uh, that they were normally getting on like, you know, for instance, Netflix. And so I get them wanting to expand their subscriber base that way. But maybe doing it day and date of the relaunch of a new series isn't exactly the way to go. Uh, maybe yeah. they could have pulled it back after they'd launched Paramount Plus overseas, whatever it was, whatever it took. But I see this being real detrimental to Star Trek fan base as a whole, but to uh, Paramount Plus in general. I mean, it's going to engender a lot of uh, ill will, I think. And not just that, but in the run-up to actually hit and record on this episode, you brought up a really interesting point, so I'll give you credit for that, that if... Uh the folks at Paramount Plus want to then retroactively look back and say, hey, you know, we would love to do another season of um, of Star Trek Discovery, but hey, the ratings weren't so great. We didn't have as many views. We didn't have as many downloads. Well, you pulled shit from the international audience, you backbiters. So why in the hell? Of course you don't have the numbers you were looking for. But if they use this particular cop-out as being a justification for not continuing with the series or maybe doing so in some diminished capacity, that's going to be them cutting the knees off from under themselves and engendering this self-fulfilling you know, uh, prophecy of, of things not panning out the way they wanted because they yanked the content. Yeah, it's it's some bullshit, and, and I anticipate a lot of angry Trekkies if uh, shit like that happens. So, Well, Anyways. real quick, before we do launch into the meat and potatoes of this episode, I thought, sure. just as we were talking about that, there's one more thing, one more big piece of geek news that we absolutely have to touch on, and by the time this goes up, it will still be at least reasonably fresh because... Uh, the new Spider-Man No Way Home trailer just dropped last night. Oh, boy, did it. Oh, boy, howdy. And I watched it about two or three times back to back. And while the folks at Sony slash Marvel are still being super fucking coy about the worst kept secret in Hollywood history, uh, about the fact that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are almost certainly in this film, based on the fact that there have been several leaked photographs, and not the photographic proof is any indication of anything being actual uh, reality or veracity these days, but the fact that every time those things go up on the internet, Sony and Marvel uh, issued takedown notices. So the Streisand effect is in full effect with that. It's pretty obvious they're there. However, we did get a whole lot of new information in this trailer. 
and uh, it, it's it's worth, if not breaking down entirely, at least hitting some of the high points. Um, it's safe to say that the Sinister Six is in full effect in this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, because, yeah, we obviously see quite a bit of Alfred Molina as uh, reprising his role as Dr. Octopus, uh, Octo Octavius from the Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi films. Um, we also get a really, really peach shot of the Green Goblin and, and very clearly hear Willem Dafoe's voice. We don't see his face. He is in the mask on the glider, but he's definitely in there. And then there's another scene where we have a nice wide shot of, uh, of Spider-Man slash Peter Parker uh, going up against, at the same time, Jamie Foxx's Electro, a very large uh, Sandman uh, somewhere in the sky, and also the Lizard. And because of the rumors that we've heard about Michael Keaton being asked to reprise his role, I think we've ticked every box on the list for the Sinister Six. So that's a big fucking deal. And even though Jamie Foxx's Electro didn't really wear the traditional costume that we saw, uh, that we ha have come to see Electro wear in the comic books, if you freeze frame the YouTube video, which of course every nerd has done a dozen times by now, uh, you will see an electrical pattern spiraling out over his face that very much looks like Electro's traditional mask. So there are absolute nuggets of gold in this trailer. They're still, again, being super coy about uh, Garfield and Maguire being there, even though we all know they're there. They're still holding that shit back. But being as we're coming up on just about five weeks before the release of this film, maybe getting closer to four now by the time you listen to this, uh, it was still a trailer that was absolutely chock full of new information. And uh, if you haven't seen it by now... Uh, why in the hell are you listening to a Geek Culture podcast? You need to go and check that shit out. Put us on pause. We won't mind. And go and watch that shit immediately because, yeah, even though yeah, they, they're still back holding back the biggest cards, the yeah, they're still keeping the biggest reveal under wraps, even though we're all kind of rolling our eyes because we know what's going to happen. Uh, regardless, there's enough, uh, enough new info in this trailer to, to fuel speculation until this film hits theaters. Absolutely, and, and you're right. That trailer was chock-a-block full of new surprises and 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 good visuals, and I'm just I'm stoked for it. I really am, and uh, I, I I just can't wait. I, I I I've not been this excited about a Marvel movie in quite some time. So yeah, and all Marvel movies are great Marvel movies. Well, with the possibility of maybe the Eternals, but we don't want to talk about that this week. We'll talk but about um, the Eternals next time, I think maybe. Yeah. Nevertheless, I mean, I, I didn't see it right away when it came out, but I have seen it since, and I went in... Again, the, all I'll say about that, because we got to get to the actual thrust of the episode, is that I really wanted to like Eternals really bad. I wanted the, the Rotten Tomatoes rating to be completely off base, but um, I think... I, I, I think I'm safe in saying that Thor The Dark World has been knocked out of its position as being the worst <laughs> Marvel movie. I wanted to like Eternals real, real bad for a lot of reasons. I love everybody in it. I wanted Chloe Zhao to actually have a really good first outing within the MCU because the uh, the universe needs the our universe and the Marvel universe needs more female directors, directors of color. Uh, we need to have that. We need to have that representation. But it just it just wasn't a good movie. And I it might it might have been kind of like okay, kind of like Cars with Pixar. It might have been a decent movie if not for the, the the studio that it's associated with. But we've gotten so used to expecting absolute home runs from Marvel every time out that when something is just a little bit underwhelming, a little less than impressive. It just doesn't measure up to the uh, to what we've come to expect from that studio. So we'll get into that in another time. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, I don't want to poison your mind because uh, I, I deliberately fought against a lot of the reviews kind of telling me, hey, this movie isn't really worth it. But I did go into it hoping to like it, hoping the reviews were wrong, and I left for the first time uh, after a Marvel movie uh, disappointed. So that was a giant bummer. Well, we could talk about that. We'll do a, we'll do a kind of a, a re visit that uh in a later sure. episode 
uh, but kind of connected. Um, now, what I wanted to talk about today is, and this is, I sent you a couple articles that I read that uh, mm-hmm. that spoke to this idea of of uh, a couple. These articles I read had fans pointing out obvious plot holes in a movie that is otherwise pretty well regarded, and, and kind of like you know mind breaking plot holes that just take you out of the the fun and the adventure and the story of it. So. Uh, I was going to read a few and, and, and we can discuss and find out whether or not it was actually a plot hole or if uh, it's forgivable or no, all of a sudden, holy shit, I never thought of that. That breaks the movie kind of thing. So Yeah. Well, since you brought up Cars, we'll start there. There was a fan that pointed out that in the original Cars movie, Doc Hudson, uh, who went on a race against Lightning McQueen at one point, with the grounds of the race being, hey, if you beat me in this race, you can mm-hmm. go free. You don't have to repair the road. You can go free. I'll fix the road. Uh, but if I beat you, you have to stick around and fix the road and do your do duty. Duty. Yep. But uh, duty. <laughs> this fan theory points out that Doc Hudson should have been disqualified from this race. And I'll read to you exactly the quote. This is from Redditor uh, No More Ranger, No Mere Ranger 73. In cars during the one on one race between Lightning McQueen and Doc Hudson, the policeman reads out the rules and literally says, quote, No lollygagging. End quote. What does Doc do? He freaking lollygags as Lightning speeds away. So even though Lightning falls into this cactus and has to be towed out, Doc should already have been disqualified from the race. Lightning wins, he gets to fill up with gas and leave Radiator Springs, leaving Doc to fix the road. And then pointed out also, why did the hell, why in the hell do they have sidewalks? So. Yeah, well, the Cars universe is just kind of really full of, of weird inconsistencies. Like, uh, <laughs> who built them? Did they build themselves? Is this a weird world where humans created the cars and then died off and the cars eventually attained sentience? How do they repair each other? Uh, the fact that there's a Pope mobile on the back of a larger car that actually has a bulletproof <laughs> dome on it. Um, the fact that the existence of a World War II veteran implies that somewhere in the Cars universe is a car Hitler. There are so many sort of undercurrents of... Uh, <laughs> Of of, of of what's going on? Please tell with, me he's with a the fucking cars Volkswagen. Oh, he'd Hitler, have to be. Car Hitler would have to be like a Scirocco with a fucking black license plate up front. Yeah, Jesus yeah, Christ! You would think so. I can see it, and, and it's terrible. You know, yeah, and it's a convertible top, and the top is black, and it's a little ragged, and hangs over the windshield a little bit. But yeah, there's there are, there are so many inconsistencies in the Cars universe that the more you think about it, the more you're sorry you thought about it because you just want to kind of you don't want to delve into it too deeply. It just it it raises more questions than it answers. Right, but in this particular case, he did say no lollygagging, to which can, mm-hmm. uh, to which point uh, Doc does lollygag. He 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 tortoise in the hairs that shit. He just diddle bops around the racetrack. Waiting for Lightning McQueen to do the inevitable, hot shot around the sandbank and, and end up in the cactus. Um, he broke his own rule. Yeah, good job. He legitimately broke his own rule. Yeah, and and he did. I, I kind of agree with the redditor on this point. That was uh, that was a major inconsistency. Now, does it break the movie for me? Probably not, because as you said, there's enough shit that you already have to set aside for fact of. You know, uh, just suspension of disbelief and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just in the universe where there's Car Hitler. 
but yeah, <laughs> good lord. Speaking of things that should have disqualified competitors in contests, uh, one of the most glaring plot holes that I remember from uh, watching movies when I was a kid is uh, the Karate Kid. The referee yeah. uh, clearly says that kicks to the face are not allowed. Yeah. And yet, uh, much like we talked about in the last episode, where whatever gadgets um, Q gives Bond just happen to coincidentally be the ones he needs to get himself out of a pickle during the course of the movie, the crane kick that Daniel and Mr. Miyagi practiced is the thing that actually helps him win the tournament. But face kicks are not allowed, and he wins with a face kick. So what... What happened? What did we miss? Now, you haven't seen uh, Cobra Kai yet. but I have not. There's a scene in the first uh, season of Cobra Kai. Uh, Johnny ends up at Daniel LaRusso's car dealership. And Danny's like, oh, oh, come here, let me introduce you to some of the guys. And he's introducing him. And he's and the guys are like, oh, this is that dude that you, you kicked his ass and won that tournament. He's like, well, I didn't kick his ass. I kicked his face. It was an illegal kick. Oh, illegal? Really? Come on, what about that elbow to my knee? Yeah, I got a warning. You got the win. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No fighting in the showroom, guys. <laughs> and and uh, and Johnny's sitting there going, he's just mumbling in the background because he's horribly embarrassed to even be there. But because, yeah. you know, he's become like this loser, whereas uh, Danny has become very, very popular and, and very famous and, and all that. And uh, he, he's just mumbling under his breath, oh, it was an illegal kick. And you know, and so that does get addressed in universe. I mean, not well, enough I'm to glad that they actually rescind the title, but you know, yeah, he still uh, won. But jumping back to uh, Pixar for a minute, as long as we we're talking about cars, this is one that's always kind of bothered me. Sure. Um, the toys, the toys know their toys, and mm-hmm. in order to maintain the illusion of being toys, whenever Andy walks in the room, they fall limp to the ground so that they don't blow their entire existence and give up the secret that they're sentient right why does buzz do it buzz thinks he's a legitimate space ranger uh it's an entire it's it's, it's the central thrust of his character no i don't know about you you look like a sad little man but i'm a to to infinity beyond space ranger but buzz still collapses (laughs) when andy comes in the room even though he knows that is convinced that he's not a toy he's a, a, a real boy you Maybe it's just instinctual. Maybe it's yeah. instinctual or maybe, for toys. Maybe it's sort of like involuntary. Maybe the toys lose their ability to be sentient. Although, no, that's actually... No, because when them. they when yeah. they confront the villain, uh, Sid... Uh, yeah, that's true. Woody turns his head around. They choose to be up and around. And, and, yeah, so it's, it's definitely something that's voluntary, and so... Uh, why, why, yeah, why does Buzz flatten out when Andy walks in the room if he thinks he's a real space ranger? What's that And, you about? know, I think we're going to end up with a whole lot more inconsistencies as regards Buzz Lightyear coming up with the release of the new Lightyear movie by, by Pixar. Mm-hmm. Um, because this was based off of a cartoon in the uh, Toy Story universe. That's where Buzz come from. But now, all of a sudden, it's this alternate splintered reality where Buzz Lightyear is an actual thing. So he goes from pretending to be a t- uh, space ranger... To actually being a space ranger, and there's there's a lot of inconsistency with that as well. So we'll just have to see how that one plays out. Sure. So uh, the next one that uh, was brought up now, uh, we talked extensively last episode about Back to the Future, how it was almost played by uh, uh, Eric Stoltz instead of Michael J. Fox, and th- yada yada mm-hmm. yada. Uh, now this one uh, points out 
did the timeline in Back to the Future try to correct itself? Uh, from Reddit user One Happy Penguin, in Back to the Future, Doc paints a line on the road so Marty will hit the wire and get the lightning bolt into the flux capacitor at exactly the right time. The movie even states that Doc has adjusted for wind resistance, etc. But when Marty goes to drive, the car won't start. The alarm clock goes off and he is still stalled. So technically, Marty leaves late and yet still hits the wire exactly on time. So Doc's math was either wrong, and no one said a word about it, uh, because if the car had not stalled, Marty would not have been, or Marty would have been too early, missed the lightning bolt, crashed into the movie theater, and never gotten home. Right, Scott! Yeah, and that's that's a pretty big concern. They're really quick to point out also that they're sinking their time based on the clock tower, uh, Hill Valley Clock Tower, which has no second hand. It has, mm. there's, it's impossible to get a correct exact moment. And we all know with lightning strikes, it happens in just the blink of an eye. The, a Instantaneously. Of a second. Yeah. Yeah. And so they would have to have an, uh, a timekeeping method that was far more precise. So between the lack of uh, a, mi- a second hand on that clock and the fact that Marty drove late, I mean, it shouldn't have worked. I, I completely yeah, agree with this one. Now, we have to let it go just to keep, you know, having Back to sure. the Future movies. I get it, but he shouldn't have made it. That should you know, have Back to the Future is, is any time travel movie, when you start talking about timelines and, and messing with the past and how it affects the future and everything else, you're invariably going to wind up with inconsistencies, with uh, breaking the rules of your own universe. Time travel as a general concept is just messy as hell. So when you start tripping around in that universe, no matter which movie it is, any movie that deals with time travel, you're going to have inconsistencies. And uh, the Avengers uh, tried to sort of hand wave that with uh, uh, the new uh, smart banner Hulk talking about how anything you do in the past can't affect the future and blah, 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 whatever. But that just, again, sort of opens a giant can of worms. Well, then why bother doing anything at all? Right. And they're playing around with the multiverse to correct those theories. It's like, oh, well, uh, there's a universe where it worked. There's a universe where it didn't work. There's a universe, you know, whatever. It's, and Loki has so to dig around and try and figure all that shit out. Stupid can. Well, yeah. Okay, so here's one. I've got one that's uh, that's that's kind of stupid. Uh, Armageddon. Okay. Armageddon is a Michael Bay film, and Michael Bay... Absolutely can't um, take seriously whatsoever. Anyways, go ahead. No, no. Michael Bay is pretty much universal. He's, he's in kind of in the same Juve bowl box as like being somebody <laughs> who just... You can't take seriously as a filmmaker because... His shit tends to be big, loud, dumb, stupid, full of explosions, and you, yeah, like going to a Michael Bay movie looking for a great story is like going to a whorehouse looking for true love. It's a, it's transactional. <laughs> you know what you're getting walking into it. But Precisely. even so, Armageddon they take a bunch of, uh, of of engineers, a bunch of miners, a bunch of guys who basically drill for a living because they have roughnecks, to, you know, yeah. go ahead and yeah, roughnecks, and they train them to be astronauts. So Ben Affleck who, again, won an Oscar for actually writing a movie that was, in my opinion, one of the best movies that's come out in the last 50 years, apparently went to Michael Bay and said, hey, dude, um, being an astronaut, you kind of got to start off with, like, the Air Force, and you got to get recruited, then it's like, you know, many, many years. Uh, taking roughnecks and, and making them into astronauts, wouldn't it be easier to take actual astronauts and just, I don't know, teach them how to drill? Wouldn't that be a much <laughs> less uphill climb if you're looking to get some dudes into outer space that can take care of this threat? And um, he brought that up, and then very famously on the DVD commentary that comes up, Bay in his infinite wisdom and in his far-reaching vision, 
apparently told Ben Affleck to shut the fuck up. And that was the end of the conversation. But I'm sorry, Affleck was right. It would have been much easier to just take a bunch of astronauts. You've already got years and years of experience about how to pilot spaceships and be in outer space with a weightless this and spacesuit that and just hand them a power tool rather than taking dudes who know how to break rocks and training them how to be astronauts. Oh, please. He's not we're, wrong. We're living in the era where we spend billionaires up to space to, to fuck around for 10 minutes. I mean, we sent, All right. We sent Shatner to space. We could send a roughneck. I don't know, man. Okay, yeah, you know what? That's a good point. You win. <laughs> now, uh, here's another one that I thought was interesting. Independence Day. Uh, you know, the big blockbuster from the mid-90s starring sure. everyone's favorite Will Smith and uh, Jeff Goldblum uh, when he was in his uh, Jurassic Park heyday, as it were. Um we have this uh, submission from uh, Reddit user uh, Cognitive Cure. He states, When Jeff Goldblum writes a virus and sends it to the mothership, he constructs the virus in two minutes with no knowledge of alien technology. Like the mothership was also running Windows 7. Like the virus <laughs> perfectly integrated with alien technology. Like the aliens don't have antivirus software. Like the aliens use the same Wi-Fi protocols to communicate. And as, so what did Jeff do? Just send him an email? How did he get that transferred over? So that's that guy's complaint. Oh, and then okay. there was another one that I want to throw out. Uh, uh, and we can discuss them both. Uh, Reddit user uh, Distant Applause says, An Independence Day, when the Army is briefing the volunteers for the assault on the alien mothership, everyone looks at Randy Quaid like he's crazy for saying that he was abducted by aliens. As the world is currently being invaded by aliens. So it's like, oh, you're fucking crazy. You never got abducted by aliens. Look above you, dude. Look up. They're right there. Yeah, I mean, that's totally valid. Uh, even notwithstanding how nuts Randy Quaid as a person turned out to be in the last couple oh, of years. Oh, batshit insane. Uh, people, Absolutely. Yeah, people looked at Randy Quaid's character like he was nuts. Now we all just kind of look at Randy Quaid like he's nuts because he kind of is. But right. to address the first point, it's, it's not necessarily outside the question that they would have been able to write a virus that would have affected the mothership. And the reason being, as we find out halfway through the film, they do actually have one of their ships. And if they were able to sort of like do a data dump and reverse engineer whatever operating system those things used, uh, was it Carl Sagan that said math is the universal language? And it's not necessarily a stretch to assume that regardless of whatever alien technology is powering this ship, it's still based on binary code. It's still zeros and ones. It's not absolutely outside the question that they have an existing ship that has this software in it that Jeff Goldblum could have dumped the OS, reverse engineered a virus, and then use it to infect the overall mothership. That's not outside the question. Where it does run into a little bit of a problem, even given that explanation, is they've had this ship for a very, very long time. The one that they used to kind of go back up to the mothership. Now, you and I obviously know, because we're geeks and tech heads, how fast technology moves. Um, every two, three years, you got to get a new computer. Every year or so, you got to get a new cell phone, because Moore's Law notwithstanding, we do have quite a bit of large leaps of technology, even year to year. So to assume right. that however many years it's been since they've captured that original ship in the hangar in Independence Day, that it's still running on the same overall operating system as what the aliens are using currently... That's a little bit more of a stretch. Although, even if it's iOS or Windows or Linux or whatever the hell it is, it's still not entirely outside the realm of possibility, being as how, again, this is a human perspective, a human point of view, 
but being how we sort of build on what we learned before to move forward, every iteration of, let's just say, Windows is kind of built on the shoulders of the one that came before. So no matter how old the ship is, if it's got some kernel, whether, you know, I mean kernel both in terms of like programming language and also like a nugget, so it's, I mean it both ways, any kernel of what eventually became what the the current mothership runs on even if it's if, if it's if it's anywhere near the same lineage of software it's not unheard of to think well we sort of know what they're working with so we can you know if you're if you're writing software to work you got to be nuanced if you're writing software to to bomb something or deep six it all you got to do is tear out chunks of the code and things will crash around your shoulders so that i think it's a stretch but it's plausible welcome to earth okay yeah i think that's where we'll leave that one is just plausible yeah. Uh, let's get through a few more here. Now, this next one, okay, this is not a critically acclaimed movie whatsoever, but you've probably seen it. Most of you've probably seen it or heard of it at least. Waterworld. Uh huh. Oh, Jesus Christ. He just. Costner. Kevin fucking Costner. Okay, so. Uh, Waterworld, for those of you who don't know, maybe, blessedly so, uh, is basically the polar ice caps melted, the world's mostly underwater. Wouldn't even happen that way, but okay. As we're about to find out as we melt the polar ice caps now. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, this now there's three different uh, points that I want to make here, and, we'll, and then we'll discuss them. Point number one, everyone in, in Waterworld is covered in dirt. On a planet that's covered in water, everyone's covered in dirt and dirty. <laughs> okay, sit with that for a second. Also, paper is a mythical, priceless substance in this movie. They've pointed it out multiple times. But they constantly smoke cigarettes, which are rolled in paper. I mean... Yeah? Yeah. And then... Uh, don't forget that having gills, you know, the thing that would be a huge evolutionary advantage on a planet covered in water... Is also literally grounds for being executed in this movie for being different. Uh, well, see, okay, so that last you're, one. You're Aqua Jesus, and they're going to kill you for yeah. it. Yeah. Well, the last one kind of makes sense because if we want to like hop genres and universes a little bit, um, having an advantage uh, kind of gets you dragged down even in our world. Um, like if you look at the X Men movies, Magneto's whole raison d'etre is that he sees. Um, Mutants as being homo superior. They're the next evolution of humanity. And so he feels that gives them the right to sort of take over and be the dominant species. So it makes sense that if having gills is a rare thing, and it does make you aqua Jesus, that the hoi polloi would want to drag you down for that. Um, because you have an advantage that they don't, and therefore that makes you the enemy. So that I can kind of see. Uh, the dirt thing, um, even if everything's underwater, I can sort of, like, figure out that, like, if you've got a boat, or if you're, you know... There's still crap in the air, and you still are going to, like, brush up against things that maybe have been dirty for a very long time, even if there's nothing but an abundance of water to clean them. So, I mean, you can pick up dirt anywhere. It doesn't necessarily right, have to you be soil. To, doesn't have to be you earth. You walk around looking just scummy all the time, even though there's water everywhere. It's like you yeah, that's pretty people would egregious. be a bit cleaner, you know what I mean? Given all that water. But the <laughs> cigarettes thing with the paper, yeah, that's that's definitely something that uh, that needs to be called out as being a pretty decent-sized fuck-up. Yeah, I just didn't make sense. So, okay. This next one is a little bit more fun. A little bit more uh, silly, if you will. In The Little Mermaid, something's fishy. 
Mm. Uh, Little Mermaid is all about Ariel falling in love with a, a, a land breather, a land walker, and wanting to spend her time and and life with him instead of living under the sea where she belongs. Um, the only way she can really figure out to do that, strike a deal with the sea witch Ursula to get her legs. But in regards, yeah. she loses her voice. In the book, she loses her tongue. It's a bit more dramatic. Yeah. But... Well, Disney has a track record of so softening she, some of the more salacious aspects of long-standing folk tales. I mean, if you oh, look at Victor Hugo on, on uh, Hunchback and look at the Disney Hunchback, holy shit, they're not even the same. You can't even compare the two. No. But in this particular case, uh, she spends however long of the movie trying to convince Prince Eric to kiss her to get this spell corrected and be good and happy and okay. And so that's her whole uh, reason for being right there. The thing is, why didn't she just write him a note? Now, people are going to be well, quick to point out she doesn't speak English. She yep. lives in Atlantis. She speaks Atlantean. Okay, I'll give you that point. Now, pause the movie when she signs the contract with Ursula. You don't have to. I got a picture of it. I'll just show you. But you can see this contract is written in English. So the audience can read it. But the problem with that is she can read it too. She signs in English her name, Ariel, across the line. So if she can read okay. and write English when she's up on land, write due to note, hey, I fell in love with you from afar. I can stay up here with you if you kiss me. Boom. Done. Consensual well, kiss. Well, yeah. But, I mean, there are so many movies that uh, the, the sort of... Um, central conflict hinges on the fact that there's a misunderstanding and it could be cleared up with just a couple of sentences but of course you know screenwriters have to write around being able to clear things up with let me explain and then taking 30 seconds to actually do it so they have you know the other character saying no i don't want to hear it or whatever and then you get another 45 minutes out of the plot chugging along because they weren't even allowed to explain themselves so that's perhaps you know one of those things that fell under that uh, sort of uh suspension of disbelief thing but when it comes to like there being english on the the contract and her signing in english i think um here's the crazy thing about when you're, i think we talked about this a little bit when we talked about star wars previously um right it's the monkeys and typewriters thing if you have an infinite amount of monkeys infinite amount of typewriters eventually going to write shakespeare whatever in, in a galaxy far far away um han and leia and 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 uh, Luke are not really speaking English. They're speaking an outer space language, but we hear it as English in order for us to be able to understand the uh, the film. So whether or not there's some sort of like galactic common that they use to understand each other, um, that maybe like Jabba the Hutt doesn't really feel the need to you know say anything about because he's got his own hutties and there's other people around to translate and people seem to understand him. But everybody in these outer space epics where you're talking about multiple planets, multiple civilizations, multiple societies, all being able to understand each other, either there's some kind of like Douglas Adams babblefish at play here that we don't see that's that's kind of hinted at, or they're speaking some common tongue that's that's used across the galaxy that isn't English but for our purposes sounds like it, and. When it's written out, it's an arabesh uh, in certain instances of the film. I mean, Lucas has fucked around with a lot of things. But it, for all intents and purposes, we hear it as English, but it isn't really English. So I think maybe that's what's going on with Ariel. We see the contract presented in English, but it isn't really English. It's just English so that the audience can understand it. But the larger issue is the same thing we have and just talked about with Waterworld is 
paper. You can't have paper if you're underwater, so how does she sign a contract <laughs> on a scroll to begin with? So that, to me, is the real issue there. Way, way to take it deeper. Way to take it deeper. I like that. Uh, let's stick with Disney for a few short ones, okay? Uh, Why not? This one goes back all the way to Cinderella. Now, in Cinderella, she's told by the fairy godmother that everything will turn back to what it originally was at midnight. Her dress, her carriage, the horses. So why don't her glass slippers? Mm. Now, sit with that for a second. The other question that was raised is, uh, in a kingdom with more than a couple women, probably, at least five or six, uh, how did nobody else have the same size shoe? Even if they fit snug or a little loose, it could be explained, right? So, we have a couple surrounding Cinderella's shoes. I have always wondered about that, honestly, because every interpretation of Cinderella that I've ever seen suffers the same plot hole. And and this is even including, I don't know if you've ever heard this song from, uh, there's a rapper named Dana Dane. And in the 80s, he, he did a rap called Cinderfella. And huh. it's the same thing. He, he goes to this, to raps to the princess. She loves him, but he has to dip. He's on his way home and everything disappears except for the one shoe that he still had because he left the other one back at the, at the ball or whatever the hell it was. And, and so it's the same plot hole. How did he keep that one shoe when it was also created by the fairy godmother? How did she end up keeping her shoes? That is an excellent question. I don't know the answer to it, and I'm not going to answer it, but the thing that really... Okay, <laughs> as, a, as a weird tangent to the glass slipper thing. As we um, it has long been speculated, and I have read this from more than one source, that glass slipper was mistranslated. The original Cinderella folktale, as Disney has stolen from many different cultures, no. uh, was written in French. Oh yeah, that's what they do. It was written in French. And so it's been speculated that that is a mistranslation because, first of all, a glass slipper, if you took a hard step on, like, one of those uh, cobblestones or something, that shit would shatter and you'd slice your foot to ribbons like John McClane in fucking Die Hard, everybody's favorite Christmas movie. (laughs) But... So the and not not to mention that a glass slipper would not be flexible at all. It'd be like a wooden shoe like they have in Holland, which, again, is not the greatest thing to make. It'll be horribly uncomfortable. But the, the phrase... Of glass in French is envers, V-A-I-R. And I guess in French, the uh, of squirrel fur is pronounced the same way, but it's spelled envers, V-E-R-R-E. So, and apparently um, um, f- uh, animal skin shoes were kind of a common thing during the original writing of the, of the folktale of Cinderella. So it's been speculated that the glass slipper was never a glass slipper at all, but instead squirrel fur. Now, does that clear up the question of why didn't it change back after the fairy godmother and the pumpkin and all the horses and mice all changed back? No, no but, but at least it kind of throws a little bit more sort of like suspension of disbelief, reality. Imagine walking around with glass shoes. You'd have to tiptoe just to keep your feet from getting sliced up. Um, not, you know, the, the squirrel fur thing helps that, but it doesn't, it doesn't clear up the central question. So I can't help you there. And again, I'm not going to say it's going to break continuity or anything like that. You're, it's, it's always just something that's been kind of sitting in the back of my head with snow or with uh, Cinderella for, for all these years. And, and like you said, there's never going to be a satisfactory answer to that one. So that one, uh, it stands. That's a really good point. So yeah. All right. One more Disney one. One more Disney one. Yeah. Hercules. 
Oh, Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. Um, Hades was terrible at his job. I'll expand. Now, Disney's Hercules, Hades would have been able to check to see if Hercules actually died very easily. He was probably eagerly waiting to watch Herc's soul end up in the underworld. Pain and Panic could not have gotten away with that lie. And while he's at it, this Redditor wants to add, uh, Hera and Zeus knew Hercules was alive, which means all the other gods should have known as well. Uh, and it's sort of funny because uh, it happened in real mythology as well. Books are filled to the brim with so-and-so tells God an easily disprovable lie. God finds out. God's very pissed. So, I mean... Hades, not... He's the lord of the underworld. He sees everything that happens in the underworld. Knowing that that soul did not pass to the underworld would have been something that should have just been secondary knowledge. Yeah. Well, I think partially that? this almost harkens back to um, to sort of the nature of any given society's mythology slash gods throughout history. Now, it's a very prevalent thought in Western philosophy among believers that the sort of like Judeo-Christian God is an all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipotent being. But the sort of gods of antiquity, the, the Greek, the Roman gods, these gods were based on aspects of humanity. Um, these gods were flawed. They had human appetites. They had human peccadilloes. They had very, very human flaws and because they were based on, on humans. Um, you know, the, the classic line of uh, God created man in his own image and then man returned the favor uh, very much holds true with a lot of those sort of pantheons of different gods. So it stands to reason, I guess, that if uh, the imagination of the culture that dreamed up these particular deities had said to themselves, hey, these people have certain fallibilities because we have certain fallibilities, that maybe they didn't cast their gods into this light of being omnipotent, all-powerful, and all-knowing uh, because they were, in essence, very, very human. So maybe... Uh, a god, despite whatever grand powers that uh, he or she might have had in that particular mythology, maybe wasn't somebody who had a full scope of knowledge of literally everything that went on. Although, that still doesn't explain why Hades, the god of the underworld, wouldn't have noticed a given soul, uh, especially how focused he was on Hercules at that point, and, and being his, his sort of uh, his adversary, his, his antagonist. Why, if he was so concerned about Hercules being defeated, why he wouldn't pay particular attention to that given soul? All I could think of is that maybe yeah, the gods were cast as being flawed as the people who came up with them, and it was just an oversight. But still, even then, it doesn't really excuse the uh, the, the, the blind spot that, that Hades would have had to have had to have missed one of the most important things to him, given the narrative of that story. Correct. Very so much that, under his purview. That That's my Disney uh, proponent of these shows, or component of the show. Um, now, before I talk into another one, did you have any you wanted to throw at me? Well, uh, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Um, okay. It's, it's, the rules of the universe are set up. And actually, um, I'm, it's explained I'm, to... I'm looking at one right now. Oh, yeah. Great. Well, it's so explained to, well, then we'll, we'll follow up with yours. It's explained to Sarah Connor that, um, only living organisms can travel through time machines. Yes. Or a time machine, or a machine that is wrapped in tissue. So that's why we know uh, Arnie's uh, Terminator can go back through time. Right. But it's also why he shows up stark fucking naked once he actually rolls back. And he's, give me your clothes. He's got to, you know, clothe himself. It's kind of a plot point in the first movie. So how does a T-1000 go back in time? He's made of no tissue at all. He's just purely liquid metal. 
Maybe it has something to do with, and it's not explicitly stated, but maybe it has something to do with the the form of not being exactly metal, not being exactly living tissue. Maybe it's something to do with the organism that he actually is, that maybe it counts close enough as organic tissue. I don't know. Yeah. Bioorganic. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. Mine was a, is a bit simpler, and, and basically is... Uh, the Terminator spends first first Arnold's Terminator, then uh, Robert Patrick's Terminator, and then ultimately uh, whatever the the T, whatever the hell, the TX, whatever was in Terminator Three. They're all going back in time to kill John Connor, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the first movie, Sarah warns John, trains John, thinks he's a crazy person, whatever. Um, why doesn't the Terminator go back farther? Why doesn't he go back and try to eliminate Sarah Connor again earlier in her life? Or Sarah's parents? Or Sarah's grandparents? Or Sarah's descendants? Somebody who's maybe not prepared for it? You know, why not go back to the Middle Ages when the best they had was swords and shields and you're you're a being of liquid metal and uh, you could decimate these guys with a single thought? Yeah, that's, that's a, a really good question that doesn't seem to really have a viable explanation. Hmm. I don't got much more to add to that one. Just to, just kind of the, uh, you know, makes sense if they want to just go back and kill a different descendant. I don't know. Here, here's, here's another time travel question um, from uh, X-Men Days of Future Past, another movie that deals a lot with time travel. Right. All right. Wolverine shows up in 1973, and right. he finds out that Hank McCoy, uh, there's a suppression serum that will help Professor X um, to... to, uh, to essentially cure um sort of the mutant gene um but then that happens uh previously but then in the last stand uh, that's set in 2006 hack mccoy is super taken aback when uh there's a mutant cure that's discovered even though he invented it 30 years ago maybe he's just pissed because he stifled that work and uh to see a re- they like you said with the monkeys and the typewriters, you know, you have enough people bashing away at a cure for mutant kind, mm-hmm. someone's going to come across it. Even if Hank buries his research and gets rid of it, someone else is going to come up with the same thing. Someone else is going to recreate the wheel. Someone else is going to find fire without Prometheus. You know what I mean? So it's it's maybe his yeah. his anger is just wrought in the fact that shit. I thought I suppressed this, and now here we are facing it again. Yeah. I don't know. That's a, good, right. that's a good question. We're coming up on our time here, so we can whip out some quick shots real fast. Um, sure. We, we've talked a lot about Back to the Future this episode and the last episode, so uh, um, why didn't Marty's parents remember him? You figure if Lorraine had as big a crush on Marty as she did, Calvin, uh, right. that she would remember knowing someone that looked exactly like her teenage son. Yeah, that's yeah. weird. That's and if weird. I was George... I would definitely question that, uh, you know, hey, we, <laughs> so we, we, we met this too, guy. That's right. Yeah, we, we, George knew him too. We met this guy who looked exactly like our, our our eventual kid. I'm guessing he came back into our lives at some point, and maybe my kid is not my kid. Maybe Lorraine kept his phone number, because I know she had a crush on this dude. Because he doesn't know. I mean, they don't know that he's their kid. He can't tell them that. It would fuck <laughs> up the timeline. So imagine there's this guy that introduces you and your wife. And then, you know, 30 years later, you have a kid who looks exactly like him. That would, I think, probably raise some I red flags about your relationship. That. I love that so much. I never thought about that. Hey, you, get your damn hands off. 
<laughs> exactly. Uh, oh okay, so here's a dumb one. Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, Obi Wan Kenobi is tasked with hiding Luke and Leia. Puts Leia on mm-hmm. Alderaan, which has no connection to uh, Obi or Anakin Skywalker, which we get makes sense. She'll be protected. Fuck, raised in royalty. Puts yeah. Luke on Anakin's home planet with Anakin's relatives. Without changing his last fucking name. What's the thought Yeah, a real good hiding here? job. Right. And then, you know, I guess, to uh, on some level, you could say, well, I'm around, I can always protect him if anything happens, I still am a Jedi, I survived Order 66, whatever. Right, but, but um, Jesus Christ, Luke man. barely remembers this cat. Luke yeah. barely remembers this cat. Oh, you know, old Ben Kenobi from over the hill? So it's not like, yeah. you know, Obi-Wan is necessarily... Yeah. Right. He's not been part of his life. He hasn't been actively making sure to keep this kid's ass under wraps. So yeah, let's keep his last name and put him on your dad's home planet. Super good hiding job there, Sir Alec Guinness. Way to go. What's the the reasoning factor here? Well, he did say to me once that he hates sand. So, I mean, that's that's literally all you got. Bad, bad planning, Mr. Master Jedi. All right, but it's see. also kind of like pretty amazing that uh, Darth Vader didn't find him. Must not have been looking for him too hard. Must not. Here's a quick one, a uh, comic book movie-ish related. Ant-Man. They say yeah. in Ant-Man, uh, in the beginning, Hank Pym explains that when you use the Pym particles to shrink, you have the same mass, which they fuck up so many times. Oh, yeah. You have the same mass. This way when Scott shrinks to an inch tall and punches someone in the face, it's like being punched by a full-grown man. So here's yeah. the thing, and, and and this thing keeps going, but I could sum it up really super easy. couple ways that's broken. If Scott Lang, let's, let's conservatively say Mr. Paul Rudd, world's sexiest man, uh, is shrunk down to the size that he can ride on the ants like he does in the movies. He if he's them. got the same mass, that ant would be fucking obliterated. Obliterated. It's just, it's as, as if he had stepped on it, yeah. Because yeah. Paul Rudd, I'm, yeah, I've never met the man, but I'm guessing he's probably, like I don't know, like 5, 10, 190. Yeah. 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 So, you know, yeah, if he's uh, if you're riding on the back of an ant, regardless of, of having that proportional strength thing that enters the equation, you would crush that little bastard. You'd never be able to do it. In addition, in that same movie... Uh, one of the key elements of their getaway uh, from Pym Laboratories was he had, Hank Pym had a tank keychain that he makes yeah. a clever joke. Ha ha ha, this wasn't just a keychain. Pym particles its ass into a full-grown tank that just barrels out of the building. Okay. That thing would be three tons in his pocket holding his car keys together. Right. Absolutely right. So... They fuck up their own shit right there easily, um, so they've got a, they've got some explaining to do about that. I, I, I they definitely I do. Um, quicker one. Uh, uh, we've all seen a quiet place by this point, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Quiet place. Uh, the aliens or creatures or whatever it is that they are afraid of are attracted to sound so much so that in the grocery stores even they've left the noisy chip bags. The stores cleaned out. Except for the noisy chip bags and chips that are contained within them. Viable food source, loud as fuck, will get you killed. Okay. Yeah. The entire movie shows them trying to go under the radar and be quiet and try to avoid these creatures. Uh, To the point where she has a silent childbirth. Mm Mm-hmm. 
which is anyone who's ever been to a childbirth, witnessed a childbirth, knows that's bullshit. <laughs> um, yeah, I would imagine trying to squeeze something the size of a honeydew melon out of a hole the size of a grape, but probably there'd be a little bit of screaming involved. I mean, I, I, yeah. I don't know. I've never had children. Uh, I've had kidney stones. Not that it's analogous, so don't write in, ladies, saying that your pain is much more epic because I give you all of the due credit on that. Although, it, it is worth pointing out that um, I, I've known a lot of women who've had kidney stones and children, and they say they'd have way more kids than they'd had. They, they'd rather have children than kidney stones. Nonetheless, I'm not trying to be the fucking guy that's trying to say we experience pain worse than you do. If men were the ones that had don't to have children, that. humans would have died out a long time ago. All oh, due credit to you, ladies. I'm not even going to play that game with you, so don't, don't send us hate mail. Well, here's um, the thing. Please. Here's the thing. Noise attracts these creatures, right? But naturally yep. occurring noise doesn't because they tune it out, which is why they right. make a point of finding the waterfall in the movie, right? And walking on the so sand in the movie. Why the fuck don't they live by the waterfall? Why the fuck didn't she go to the waterfall to have this kid? Tell me where that's that That would have made sense. a lot more sense. Yeah. No, it does. Yeah. The only thing, like so many of these things, the only reason they didn't is because it would have been very plot inconvenient. That would have ratcheted down the tension. And, you know, any the essence of any entertainment is, is, is tension and moving the plot along. Right. No, I all get right. that. Yeah. I got another one real quick here. So um, we've yeah. all seen Gremlins. Gremlins is a classic film from our childhood. Oh, and absolutely. we all know the rules of, uh, you know, don't get them wet. Don't uh, get them in. They don't like bright lights. Um, but the, the most famous one is don't feed them after midnight. Right. So uh, there are, you and I are, are currently three hours apart. There are three time zones in, four time zones in this country alone. Um, and not just that, but it's always midnight somewhere. Um, so when does it reset? I mean, could you feed them at 3 a.m.? Could you feed them at, um, you know, 6 a.m.? It's always after midnight, technically. We're only on a 24-hour cycle here, you know, in, in, in this earth that rotates our, our specifically sized sun. I when have had back this conversation so many times, and I have never found a satisfactory answer to this. The other rules make sense. Don't get them wet. Okay, chinchillas can't get wet. Same thing. Right, easy to do. Cheat, cheat them like a chinchilla. But, uh, yeah, exactly that. I've had this conversation multiple times, because every time is after midnight. At what point when does, does the clock reset? reset? Does they, do they have some kind of internal clock? And if so, what time zone are they on? These are all things that I think... That uh, the guy who sold the Mogwai should have been able to tell. And maybe he would have. Yeah. Had Peltzer asked, instead of stealing the damn thing. Mm-hmm. Or getting it from the grandson, or whatever it was you call it. I call it stealing because the guy didn't want to sell it, so. Uh, maybe it's questions that had an answer. Maybe there's something in a novelization somewhere, but I've never found the appropriate answer to that. That's a good no. one. All right, the oh. last one that I have, the last okay, one well. that I have, and this is one that has, has 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 confounded film fans since time out of mind. Now, I was not a fan of Titanic. I thought it was overwrought. I thought it was maudlin. I thought it was completely um, melodramatic and just not a great movie. Um, but everybody else loved it. I, I'm still, okay, the reason, I guess part of the reason why I was not a fan of Titanic is I'm still, still pissed off that it beat Goodwill Hunting for Best Picture. I really think Goodwill Hunting should have won. Absolutely. I think it was a much more poignant film. I think it was a, a tour de force for Robin Williams. I think it was a career-defining role for, for Matt Damon. Just so so much better of a movie. Uh, and also, James Cameron is kind of a prick. I mean, he's he makes good movies. He's not, I don't put him into the Juve Ball or Michael Bay box. I don't. He's not that bad. 
He does make big over-the-top popcorn spectacle, but you know, everybody loved Avatar. Um, you know, Titanic, it was it was a very popular film. But and this is something that has been chewed up and kicked around by the internet more than we're going to do right now and and nobody's really come up with a good answer for it but i'm going to say this once i'm going to let it go jack could have fit on the fucking door he could have <laughs> fit on the door it was a door you know i mean it, there was more than enough room for both of them there there really was and yeah, there have been people who really have actually likes to stretch her legs out and she wanted to be oh, comfortable don't you there have been people who have, based on seeing the film and knowing how tall Kate Winslet is, they have like done things where they've taken like they've actually made a door or like put tape on the. I've seen these things. People have put these posts up for years on the internet. Put tape on the floor or actually construct a door out of like styrofoam or wood or whatever, and then take two people who are the same reported dimensions of Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, and they have proven that they could have both fit on the door. They could have. They could have. He didn't. They even need to talk die. about that shit in, in Rick and Morty too. There's yeah. a whole episode of Rick and Morty dedicated to, to Titanic. So I got one last one I want to talk about as well. Drop now, it. Interstellar. I yeah. loved Interstellar. I thought it was fantastic. It was well shot. It was beautiful. You got Matthew McConaughey with his accent the whole time just being all Matthew McConaughey, you know. Well, I don't know, Mr. Soderbergh. I think it's about time for me to take my shirt off. <laughs> And right, it's worth right, mentioning right. that even before we get into any scientific or logical inconsistencies, that film actually got a thumbs up from no less than Neil deGrasse Tyson himself for being probably the most accurate film to deal with, like, Einsteinian time-space dilation, black holes, and all the shit they dealt with. So, you know, it was an exhaustively researched film, and it was really well written and really well presented, but I'm oh, looking forward to hearing what it was that they fucked up. Here's the thing. We, we're, we're, we are huge fans of Neil deGrasse Tyson on this show. Big time. Um, Interstellar, they have three of the smartest people from Earth on board their spacecraft, specifically. When deciding whether to go down to the planet where time moves faster, they know they will lose years on this mission's deadline. Why did they rush the decision in a quick meeting to go down to this planet? At least run a statistical analysis before going down. Run drills. Walk through possible scenarios of what might happen. Spend four to five weeks, if you need to, prepping for this mission. If it saves you more than 30 seconds on the planet, you've paid for your time. But they end up spending far too long on that planet, and so many years go by while they're not dicking around, they're doing what they have to do, but they've lost so much time by the time they get back off that planet. So yeah, much I mean, if, if, if you're living in a world where you have the technology to travel to other planets... Uh, we have things like Google Earth. We could have launched a satellite and done like a, a, a Terra map of that planet and found out that it was nothing but water. We could have figured that out. We didn't need to send actual people, an away team down to the surface to, to get their feet wet in a very literal sense to find out that that planet was not going to be habitable. And how much time did they lose? What did they say? 12 years goes by for every minute they're on the planet? Was that what it Some, was? Something like that. Something like that, yeah. So, yeah, uh, they could have sent a probe. They could have had launched a satellite. They could have done any number of things that would have told them that that planet was not habitable rather than going down there, dicking around for three or four minutes and losing decades back home. Yeah, that's that's a big one. Right. So not necessarily anything incorrect about the physics of the time or anything like that. It's just more yep. piss-poor planning on their part. Or piss-poor yeah. lack of planning, as it mm-hmm. were. So. Well, those are the and ones so that I've got. And, and no, go ahead. One, one real, real short note on that that I find I found really interesting is that um, 
Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, said that the depiction of the black hole in that movie, the way that it looked on screen, the way that it was sort of depicted to be, was, as far as physics and, and, and uh, you know, theoretical astrophysics can tell, that was the most accurate depiction of what a black hole would actually be like, look like, act like. He gave them nothing but praise for that. So even though I kind of took a shit on Eternals a little bit at the beginning of this episode, I'm going to bookend that by saying there was a scene in Eternals where... A, a black hole does come into play, and they lifted the design of the black hole on screen in Eternals directly from Interstellar. It looks just like the one in that movie. So, apparently, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, having given the stamp of approval on the depiction of the black hole in that film, has, to some degree, infused the pop culture with, okay, if he says it, then from going forward, that's what we're going to make those things look like. So it kind of becomes like a, um, a coconut effect, if you're a TV Tropes fan, of we don't really know for sure, but this particular visual depiction has become shorthand for what the most renowned expert on this sort of thing has said. Yeah, that's probably pretty close to what it actually is. So going forward, we're going to use that. So, you know, as much as I crapped on Eternals a little bit, I'm going to bookend this episode by saying that they, uh, they paid attention to and for all intents and purposes got as right as we know how to get it. So I'll give them credit for that. Fair enough. So, well, those are the ones that I had that I wanted to talk about. And like I said, these are just kind of inconsistencies that maybe they don't break the movies, but they definitely make you think and they might pull you out of the story just a little bit. Uh, tell us what you think. We want to know if there's any particular movies or TV shows that have a glaring oversight or an omission that maybe uh, jostled you a little bit, rankled you, ruffled your feathers. Uh, we'd certainly love to hear about it. And of course, uh, as always, you can reach us on our Facebook group, which is facebook.com forward slash fuel your fandom. You can hit us up in our Gmail, which is fuel your fandom at gmail.com. And the backup Gmail address this week and always is fyftalentbooking at gmail.com. And that's where you send your show ideas, your guest suggestions, especially if they're you, and your pie recipes. And I'm going to go ahead and throw a, a, a different appellation onto that and say we're looking for your soup recipes, too. Because we're going to be doing an episode on soup, pie, maybe yes. a couple episodes coming up pretty soon. So we want that. If you're looking for us on Instagram, we're at at Fuel Your Fandom. If you're looking for us on Twitter, we're at at fuel underscore your and of course if you want to help us put comics into the hands of underprivileged kids this holiday season you can also find us on paypal venmo and cash app at at fuel your fandom go ahead and earmark those donations for the kids and we will use that money to go ahead and and and, and hit up our local comic book stores to make sure that kids might have a little something extra under the tree this holiday season and we definitely appreciate your support on that absolutely but from Jim and I, once again, we want to thank you for blasting us in your ear holes. Uh, we enjoy doing this for you. Uh, I mean, me and Jim, we talk anyways, but we enjoy being able to spread our love of all things geeky and nerdy to you guys. So uh, from the bottom of our hearts, we thank you for that. And do remember, as we remind you every week, that everything is fandom. And fandom is everything. Take care.